My name's Cutter Calloway, and I'm Assistant Professor of Theology and Culture at Fuller Theological Seminary. Welcome to Fuller Studio. Welcome to TV and Theology, an audio series in which we construct a theology of television to help viewers more fully engage with the power and meaning of TV. This season, I talk with filmmaker and Fuller alum Avril Speaks about the Netflix Marvel series, Luke Cage. So one of the reasons that we are talking about television specifically is because I had the honor of writing a book for Baker Academic that's just recently come out called Watching TV Religiously. And you, Avril, are writing some of the supplemental material. She's laughing because it's not quite done yet, but I gave her credit in the foreword of the book, so now she has to. So, but we're here talking in the book. That book really is just about how does TV help us envision the world? It's sort of world creating. And when we immerse ourselves in these narratives, it lays open a way of seeing the world that maybe we wouldn't have been able to otherwise. And one of the things, at least in the book that I talk about, are these different kinds of narrative complexity. And I steal this from TV studies, I didn't really make it up, but that you can have centrifugal or centripetal kind of narratives that either they're kind of inward turning or they spin out. So a Breaking Bad, for example, would be, you know, you have this guy that it's totally, he's walking down the path of destruction. He's going to gain the whole world and lose his soul. And it could happen almost anywhere. It could be set anywhere about almost anything. But this is about Walter White and him going down this path of becoming his worst nightmare. Mm -hmm. Another one, something like The Wire, or in this case, I think Luke Cage is always sort of spinning out from center. So it's actually touching on large larger events, larger narratives, larger societal moves and things that are going on. And it's not hard to see that. And I mean, it's explicit in a lot of cases with Luke Cage. So the story is about this superhero in the Marvel Comics universe, but really it's this commentary on the condition of America and even more specifically the black experience in America in 2016. So it's specifically associating with Black Lives Matter, with problems with police brutality, with Trayvon Martin. He's referenced at the very, very end by Method Man's rap. He calls him out. But then the fact that we have a black bulletproof hoodie wearing superhero. I mean, this is the mm. person. And that's actually a change from the source material. Mm -hmm. So kind of coming out of that black exploitation era when Luke Cage originated, he was dressed in tights as all superheroes love tights. But now we've got a hoodie wearing black man that can't be shot by mm -hmm. police. And all of this is framed, and this is why I think it's one of these narratives that spins out. In episode two, it first comes up, but then a few other times throughout, this reference to Crispus Attucks and who he was historically, but then how this person, almost now a character or a myth, has evolved in sort of black consciousness. And so we get specific explicit references there. And Chio Hidari Coker, who did the series, really said that the Attucks reference was vital to what he wanted to convey to viewers. And a quote I found of his, he said, I wanted to talk about the first person to die for a revolution and what that meant and what he sacrificed. In your mind, as a storyteller, as a woman of color telling stories on TV, what is, in your mind, the power of story and specifically using this storytelling medium to call out and to remind us of these historic stories? Why is it that we want to do that? Why is that important? Well, I think that the power behind story is... I think stories give us this really unique ability to kind of step outside of ourselves and see something happen. So we get an opportunity for an hour or, you know, half an hour or whatever, in this case, an hour, 
to step outside of our own lives and enter some kind of fictitious world, some other world. I'll, yeah. say, I'll say some other world. Yeah. I think the value in that is when we can kind of separate this story that we're watching from our own lives. Sometimes it causes us to ask certain questions or to think about things in different ways that hopefully will bring us back to reality yeah. and think about yeah. what does that mean yeah. and what does that look like in our own personal lives. That's the beauty of story is that we get to pick people up and put them in this other world and make them think about things that maybe they have never thought about before. And this is kind of the value of interpreting story as well, yeah. because a lot of times people will watch a film or watch a mm -hmm. TV show and they're like, oh, that was great, that was entertaining. Yeah. But then it's like, do you really think about, like, why did that creator make that conscious choice to reference Crispus Attic? Like, that's a revolutionary act. Like. What does that mean? Hmm. And then to think about that. And so we watch Luke Cage and we go, oh yeah, great. Like he's a superhero. Yeah. We had fun and we watched that. But then to have a deeper conversation that says, hmm. well, what was that about? What was he revolting? Like, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like what was the revolution? Yeah. What was he revolting against? What was the revolution? Hmm. What was it? Yeah. And to really ask that question and then to kind of turn it back on ourselves of what is our revolution. You know, you talked about this show was super popular when it came out, like it broke mm -hmm. the Internet and everything. And I think a big part of that was the timing of this yeah. show. You yeah. know, the fact that for anyone who follows the news to hear about a superhero, a black superhero <laughs> who is bulletproof. That's something you go, oh, wait a second. Like it speaks directly to the mm -hmm. time that we're in. And I think that that makes people go, okay, this is something I want to see. Like this is something yeah. I need to see because that in and of itself is revolutionary. You know, it's like, what are those things that we, I think we'll talk about this in a later episode, but like, what are those things that we love about superheroes? Like they can do the things yeah. that we can't, mm -hmm. that we're too afraid to do, or that we just physically can't do. Even his ability to heal super quickly is another thing that we just can't do. Like we can't do that on our own. But yeah, I think that that power that he has to be bulletproof definitely speaks to our culture and it speaks yeah. to our time and what we're experiencing right now. And, you know, even that Crispus Attucks reference and I love the part where there's a guy who points a gun at him and he's like, are you really going to do this? Yeah. Like <laughs> right here and yeah. right now, like, yeah. come on, like, let's really think about that. Like even his response is a revolutionary act. Yeah. And it goes back to his whole M.O. of yeah. saving Harlem. And revolutionary in that he responded through dialogue. You're at the sort of beginning and end of, I think, episode two, where the younger man comes mm -hmm. up and has a gun to his head. Is it that he invoked this history, the story in responding, or that it was simply a kind of a nonviolent <laughs> conversation as a response to violence, or both maybe? Yeah, I think it was both actually. Yeah. In that moment that someone pulls a gun on you, you pull out history. We're gonna talk later <laughs> about the music, but yeah. even just the choice to use Gangstar, like I said, we'll yeah. talk about that later. Yeah. But- well, what we can talk about with music is Biggie. So what's interesting, I hadn't thought about just now, but you have a bulletproof hero but the history is actually the history of important, prominent black men who were not bulletproof. Mm. So Crispus Attucks, not bulletproof, mm -hmm. right? Biggie. So then we get all of these really powerful shots of him with the crown on, and usually it's in Cottonmouth's office. Mm -hmm. And he comes and there's a couple scenes where he's standing right under and he's like newly crowned. Mm -hmm. But he's essentially a mob boss, right? Mm -hmm. And is not bulletproof. Mm -hmm. And so we have this history of violence where you have black men who are very profoundly not bulletproof, and they start making up the collection or the ongoing narrative that is the black experience since the Revolutionary War. And so in that sense, music does 
connect, I think, especially rap, this history of violence and how Luke Cage is responding to it. We had talked on the break a bit about then how does that or does that not make Luke a Christ figure, right? So his response, he wants to save Harlem. He has this specific saving thing. He's a superhero, a different kind. He's confronted with not even just violence, but gun violence, mm -hmm. right? Chris Pathetics was killed by a gun, you know, mm -hmm. and Biggie, well, do we know? Killed by a gun, mm -hmm. right? And now Luke Cage being shot at by guns. It's really interesting in episode four, for thinking about episodes three and four, we have basically his time in prison. So he's wrongly accused. He's another black man incarcerated and in his case did not do anything and suffers through this entire thing. And this becomes the origin story that he gets both his powers directly from the result of a racially motivated act of violence from like this prison guard and they put him in this experiment, you know, and it's pretty clear and later on they referenced specifically that he was a racist, right? So Luke is the product of, he was created by racism, but then he goes and when he's coming up with his name, he then explicitly references the gospel of Luke and Jesus. Mm -hmm. And he quotes, you know, my father was a preacher. He used to say, I would regret the life that I lived. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because I've been anointed to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed. And then he's like, that's Luke 4.18. And mm -hmm. this is why he takes on the moniker Luke Cage. So the creators of the show are positioning him as a Christ figure, but a bulletproof one in this long line of black men who were not bulletproof. Does that work for you? Is that a kind of Christ figure that we need? Is it what we want? I mean, what, how do you make sense of where that's going with the show? I mean, I think it works for the hope of that. Hmm. You know, in many ways is kind of like what we believe in as Christians, you know, hmm. it's like we have the hope of restoration. We mm -hmm. have a hope of freedom. We have the hope of liberation, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. I think it works for me in the context of the Marvel universe. Mm. And I think for me, if I think about other characters in the Marvel universe, this one feels the most grounded or like the mm. most close to home. Unfortunately, our black men are not bulletproof, Yeah, you know, which is really interesting. Like you mm -hmm. brought up those parallels of all of these images that the director chose to infuse yeah. in the series, Biggie and Crispus Attucks and these people who are not bulletproof. Like yeah. you said, like this is the reality. And so it, it kind of holds intention, yeah. the hope mm -hmm. and the reality. Mm -hmm. You know, the hope is that the wish, <laughs> I mm -hmm. shouldn't even say the hope because that's mm -hmm. physiologically, that's not going to happen that we become bulletproof. Yeah. The wish is that we could get around what's mm. happening in reality right now by our young black men being bulletproof, yeah. but that's not the case. And that is the tension that we mm. hold is that we do have Biggie and we have these very real people, even the young kids in the series, you know, mm. Chico and the kid toward the end, the kid who gets beat up in the police precinct, like this is the reality. Yeah. And so this is why I feel like it does work for me because I think that the director does a good job of holding those two intention. Mm. Mm -hmm. So it's not all about Luke Cage going around and not in boasting mm -hmm. about the fact that he's bulletproof. This is a power that he's not even comfortable with. Yeah. So it's not something that he goes around boasting about. Yeah. It just happens to be something that he has and he tries to use that for good. He mm -hmm. tries to use that in very positive ways. But yet the flip side of that, that the director really tries to drive home is that there are these very real people in this world and yeah. in this series that are directly affected by bullets, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know? And there's casualties 
around him too. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's interesting that his primary move is like wrapping his arms around people, protecting mm -hmm. them from bullets, mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, you think of a Superman or something, which really he sort of stands and turns towards the bullets and, mm -hmm. you know, like puffs out his chest and right. bing, 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 bing. And yet it's a defensive posture towards this violent world. And yeah, where that plays itself out of the reality and the, the vision or the hope that it gives, certainly it speaks a lot, I think, to the impulse to want that and to desire that. But I think you're right that it's never detached from the sort of hard reality. And we'll get to that in a little bit too, of violence, pretty brutal violence at mm -hmm. times and what the repercussions are of living in a world of violence and what you would do I think that does raise a question of what you do in response to violence as a person who's not bulletproof mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. and that raises a lot of both just practical questions but then profoundly religious questions of as people of faith what are we called to as followers of Jesus who you know Luke's quoting when it comes to violence because I don't want my kids to yeah. be shot. I don't want my yeah. family members to be shot, but I'm called to some other way. And mm -hmm. that's a really tough place to be in. Anything else before well, we wrap up? I think up? I like the point that you made about a Superman versus a Luke Cage in yeah. terms of their posture yeah. of their superpower, you know? And so Luke Cage, I remember those scenes yeah. where shooting takes place. Yeah. He always embraces to yeah. cover people. Yeah. And, you know, it's like we were talking about story, how story kind of hmm. places us in yeah. this world. But then hopefully we come yeah. back and think about what is our place in that. And even thinking about Luke in that hmm. scripture, you know, and he says, you know, you're going to regret this. Like yeah. he's so reluctant with yeah. this power. Yeah. And it's like, you know, we think about ourselves. I know we don't want to stay yeah. in the gap. But what are we going to do with yeah. that? What do people do with the privilege that they do have? That's a yeah. privilege that he has, yeah. is that he That's can resist bullets. What do we do with that privilege that we have when it comes to people who are vulnerable? Yeah. Like, what is our responsibility in that? Even in terms of our posture yeah. with that. Do we stick our chest out mm -hmm. or do we embrace those? Yeah. Because it is interesting, too, because you have a power that you're given. Then there's him wrestling with a choice to use it at all. Mm -hmm. And then once he does, then the posture you assume and how you use it. And I think all of our tendencies is to be the Superman or the Supergirl and turn toward and the collateral damage that comes from that is sort of unintentional, but mm. often happens. So that's kind of an aha moment for me of thinking, oh, as me coming from a dominant culture, I mean, I'm as privileged as you can get for the most part, or at least I sort of embody all that we would talk about. And often I struggle with, you know, I do want to leverage my privilege in whatever way is appropriate. But I think I generally envision that as the sort of the Superman approach, like, oh, well, defend the bullets, you know, and, you know, go do something. <laughs> Whereas I can use my privilege to embrace is a much different way of thinking about it. And so maybe then the vision of the Christ figure in Luke Cage isn't just for the black man who feels oppressed and under threat at all times by bullets, real bullets and figurative, but in fact, a good model for anybody that has that kind of privilege of what does it look like to embrace the weak and the helpless, mm -hmm. which is a great Christ figure in that sense. So, well, more to come on all of this as we continue through these episodes of Luke Cage. And uh, once again, with my special guest, Avril Speaks. You've been listening to a production of Fuller Studio. Fuller Studio provides articles, podcasts, videos, and other resources for a deeply formed spiritual life. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app or visit us at fuller.edu studio. 